Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thank you so much for spending some more time with me. Today is a fantastic episode as I talk to Kevin and Shay from the world-renowned Sonoma Film Festival all the way in California. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. If you love everything about fun and film and food, this is just a great 20 or 30 minutes uh, the boys just have a bit of a laugh and a bit of a chat, and uh, there's a bit of audio disturbance, but trust me, it's well worth the listen. Enjoy. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. It's so fantastic to have you on board, and in my endeavour to try and move and shift the podcast into different directions, today is is certainly no different. It's been fantastic to, over the last couple of weeks, understand a lot more about the Sonoma Film Festival all the way in America. And today I'm so blessed to have Kevin McNeely and Shay Wars all the way from the US. Gentlemen, how are you both? Sean, we're good. We're doing fantastic. Yeah, thank you for inviting us on to your podcast. Now, this is just, it's fantastic to have you both of you on. Now, Kevin, you're the executive director, Shay. You're the operations director and film and beverage uh, director as well. Now, this is such a uh, a film festival which is centered around hospitality. Kevin, did you want to really talk about the the way the actual festival started and and why it started? That's yeah, it's great. Um, it really started, Sean, for a group of us to have a big ass party on Saturday night and show a lot of mediocre <laughs> films. And um, over next March, we're celebrating our, our 23rd year of, of doing this. And, and it takes a while to develop um, relationships with distributors and, and studios and, and get major sponsors to come in. But um, we, we've done that. And the thing that makes us unique is that, you know, we celebrate the very best in film, food and wine. Mm-hmm. Noma Valley has been known for its wine and food forever. And so we've attached the film part of it, Sean. And the other thing is that we're entirely walkable festival. And Sonoma is about 45 miles northeast of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Sonoma Valley is absolutely beautiful. And in the middle of our town is a historic plaza. And all of our screening venues are, are all seven venues are all walkable minutes from one another. We have our main hospitality area called the Backlot Tent, which is about a 12,000 square foot tent that does all sorts of things. Wow. So, Kevin, how did it actually, like, how did it actually start? How long has the actual festival been going for? Yeah, it, 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 it's, it, this is our 23rd year. Wow. And, um, and so this year, it's quite amazing. I mean, last year, Sean, we had... 250 filmmakers from 22 different countries that came to Sonoma to represent respectively 120 films. And Mm -hmm. we have 65 feature length films. So they're feature narratives, documentaries, world cinema. And then we have five shorts programs that have four or five films in each program. And they run 90 plus minutes. And what was the actual what was the reason behind it wanting to start other than wanting to throw a really cool party and show some films? Like, was there, was there something in your head you were going, okay, well, I just, I just really want to do something different in the marketplace and let's yeah. just see how this goes. You know, was I, there an actual plan? Yeah, it? I can't really take credit. Carolyn Stolman, who unfortunately is no longer with us, was 
an, a PR person and she used to live in LA and she came up to Sonoma and um, she was really the, the person that, that started this. And it, 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 is, it really did start off pretty humbly. And I had come across her early on and we had shared some um, common friends in Los Angeles. And so it really was something to, to bring what has become a unique cultural asset to our community. And it, no one really knew, Sean, whether it was going to last, you know, from year to year. And for four or five years, it was strictly um, all um, um, voluntary as far as the people that were with it. And, um, mm-hmm. and as you know, what, what, what you pay for is what you get. Yes. And, um, <laughs> no, you know, it, it, it took a while to kind of get to a point where, where we were really, a you know, a functioning organization and, and, um, it's grown to where between Wednesday and Sunday, Sean, there's probably 8,000 plus people and 60% are from Northern California and the other 40% are LA, Dallas, Chicago, and New York. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, that, those are kind of our, our demos. And, and um, we start off typically on Wednesday night with a major studio film and we end the festival with that as well or from a major distributor. And, and the reason being is, of course, we want to get the talent that's in those films to come to Sonoma. It's a great way to promote the festival. But truly, we celebrate the indie filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we get about a thousand submissions on every filmmaker in the world knows about film freeway and they upload their film. They tell us about themselves in the film. And then I have about 10 um, um, screeners that are all over the country and they can access film freeway and, and they go in and rate it. And then there's a, a few of us that sit around and we're about to get to this point and sit around and fight for our films and put together this program that's 120 films. 120 films. Wow, that's insane. About the festival itself from a hospitality standpoint, like when when people actually want to go to the Sonoma Film Festival, what kind of hospitality angles, food and wine angles can they kind of expect from the festival itself? Right. I... I've gotten this question probably four times this week is <laughs> hey, a good thing. <laughs> what's the theme mm-hmm. of your festival this year? And we, we don't generally have a theme uh, that we come up with every year. We uh, every year is all about food, wine and hospitality because of where we're located mm-hmm. in Sonoma. And so uh, we, we celebrate that fact. In fact, uh, three years ago, we started uh, what was called our SIF Wine Awards to kind of uh, show um, uh, show off our wineries here in Sonoma, but also around around the world. As we're an international film festival, we're also mm-hmm. an international uh, um, wine competition that we have in conjunction with our with our festival. So we we also have uh, breweries and beer. Uh, Lagunitas uh, Brewery has been a very supportive brewery. They're located in Petaluma, mm-hmm. uh, just about 20 minutes away from us here in Sonoma. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, local spirits, Uncle Val's, and um, diff- you know different uh, uh, food uh, uh, purveyors, restaurants um, that participate in our festival as well. Has it 
do you think it's been a challenge as the festival's grown over the last 23 years to keep you saying with those indie kind of uh indie kind of films you know um is has it been a challenge to try and make sure the the whole Sonoma Film Festival brand does become sort of too corporatized and still keeps to its kind of its indie ways as a festival scene. Right. Well, you know, kind of on the on the on one side, Sean, I mean, you certainly have Cannes and Sundance and mm. Toronto and Tribeca, and um, um, and those are market festivals, and we're a destination festival, whether it be. Um, Telluride or Palm Springs or Santa Barbara, and um, um, and 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 movie maker, which is one of these trades, considers us one of the ten coolest um, destination film festivals. And I think what we do and what we will always make an effort to preserve is not to get too large. Um, because we really can't accommodate any more people in our screening venues. And also just as far as um, the lodging um, in Sonoma and thank goodness the community is very welcoming to provide guest houses and actual rooms in their homes for these 250 filmmakers that descend upon us. Wow. And, and the indie part of it, I mean, it's, it's such an important part of, 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 of cinema today. And, Mm -hmm. If you didn't have festivals, um, a lot of times people would never have an opportunity to see these great films. And including Cannes, less than 20% of films that are submitted to all film festivals around the world receive distribution. So, you know, there's all these other, yeah, there's all these other films. And unless you go to film festivals, you're never going to see it. And in the film festival business has gotten a little bit like the magazine. So, you know, Mm. there's certain kind of, genre so i mean you have comedy you have um, documentary you have jewish you have um, sports um, you have wild and scenic which has to do with the environment mm-hmm. and and we um we really aren't a theme oriented festival and so we try to be obviously important to our community but important to our filmmakers and so we have jurors that come from Los Angeles and New York who are studio execs or producers or directors or writers, and they jury these films. And these jury awards are extremely important to the filmmaker because when a distributor is looking at a film, a potential film, they want to see two things. What did it win a jury award? And the second thing, we ballot everyone that goes to every film. Um, we ballot them. How did they feel about that film? So we have audience awards as well. And we also give out um, cash awards for these filmmakers. So, you know, $1,000, $1,500 doesn't seem like a lot. But, you know, when these budgets sometimes are are twenty dollars to $40,000 total, mm-hmm. it, it does make a difference. And, you know, we give them a pass. We give them a place to stay. And, and, and certainly they get enough to eat to drink. <laughs> I bet they do. It sounds incredible. Um Really, permission to ask a really uh, silly question because I haven't been yet. I don't, I don't know. Do you have, do you have indoor and outdoor um, screenings, or is it? How does it sort of work for the festival? Yeah, so we have seven screening venues all around the historic plaza. Um, as part, all of them are walkable. You can mm-hmm. walk to every screening venue. Um, all of them are indoors. Uh, the the uh, thus far. Um, during the year, though, we have um, a 
different showings and screenings of different films. Uh, we showed uh, uh, encore uh, presentation of Black Klansmen where Ron Stallworth came out. And so you got to see <laughs> Black Klansmen with the original Black Klansmen wow. um, that was in, inside the, our marquee theater, Sebastiani Theater. But we also have outdoor screenings as well. Um, at, uh, at different outdoor venues around Sonoma. Mm -hmm. Whether they be, Sean, whether they be wineries or people's estates. And and so it, it doesn't get dark until nine o'clock here in the summer. So mm -hmm. we have food trucks and we have live entertainment and people bring their, their chairs and sleeping bags. And we have these big lawns and we have one of these blow up screens that has a rock and sound system. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we show, so we show films from June until October. The, during the film festival, um, we've been lucky. Um, I would say majority of the time, the weather's been just fine, but we are, as we are right now, and thank goodness, um, and Australia could use a little bit of what we're having right now. We, this is our rainy season. Mm. And so and it sometimes can, you know, go into the end of March. And, and so just to kind of protect ourselves, we, we all of our, our venues are inside. But on the hospitality, and I'd love to have Shay talk about, we started something that we picked up from this um, uh, film festival in uh, Wolfville, Nova Scotia. And I love their oh, names wow. called the Devour. Devour Food and Film Festival, and uh, mm -hmm. and this is something new, and this is our third year of doing it. And Shay runs this. Yeah, so partnering with uh, Michael Howell and, and Leah Ronaldo from Devour Fest, mm -hmm. um, they've been going on what uh, 10, 10 plus is years. Their ninth year. Their their ninth, ninth year, uh, held in October, and um, they had been coming to our festival for years. Um, loving Sonoma uh, as a place, but also for its hospitality and wine. And uh, they had started this event called Chefs and Shorts. Okay. And it's, it's, a, it's a culinary pairing uh, event where there's five celebrity notable chefs that each uh, take a, a inspiration from a short film and create a course uh, where uh, it's paired with a wine. Wow. And so cool. guests get to sit down and uh, hear from the chef, hear from the winery, hear from the filmmaker mm -hmm. uh, about what inspired them for all three. And then you get to try all three uh, uh, together five times. And it's wow. just, it's a wonderful uh, event. And we're uh, doing our third Chefs and Shorts uh, coming up at this next uh film festival in march march 25th through the 29th it's mm -hmm. um wow that sounds such a unique thing how cool um it, oh. it is really special and we've had uh, uh dominic crin uh alex funky we've had a lot of local uh notable chefs around here as well yeah, yeah. do you find that with the different kevin you were talking about the different fest uh, film festivals around uh around america around the world just before do you find that most of the people who come to Sonoma Film Festival, that they go to other film festivals as well, where they'd be sort of big or small? Do they yeah. Sort of around? You know, God, you really do have a, a group like that. And um, mm. so we have the 20 and 30-year-olds that are the, the the filmmakers, right, that are all here and, and – um, all typically dressed in black, you know, walking around with their, <laughs> their, their lanyards. And um, 
but you know, the, the, the group, our demo here is 50 plus dual income. Um, majority are interesting enough, Sean, are women. Interesting. Wow. And they're, they're a group that, as I said before, that come from, you know, whether it be LA, New York, Chicago, Minneapolis, Dallas, mm -hmm. and they'll go to three or four different festivals and they'll go to the big ones like, you know, Toronto or Sundance and a couple of them will go to Cannes. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, um, um, uh, we're into, um, um, being able to uh, to give Sonoma give is welcoming in that being as is we discuss it's walkable but also people love the the hospitality of all the food and wine every time um, Sean you go to a um, a screening venue there's um, there's someone there that give you a glass of wine maybe a a small bite of something and then when you go into our um, backlot tent. Um, we have a multiple of different wineries that are pouring. Um, in the past, we've had um, um, Tito's um, pouring vodka. Um, we have all sorts of different food that's put out all the time, and it makes it it makes it um, um, really um, enjoyable for you know all the people that are coming. Yeah. We actually had Tito himself come out uh, wow. as he had a film that in a festival. And uh, he uh, he was there uh, hobnobbing with our festival guests and, and uh, drinking Tito's with them, <laughs> introducing the film. Uh, yeah, it was, it, that was cool. one of the one of the highlights for me uh, for our <laughs> festival. And then and then Sean, we also try to do is we try to add being here again in food and food and uh, wine mecca. Uh, we try to add. Uh, extra experience uh, to our film programs. So, for example, uh, we took we take our, uh, our our shorts block of food films, mm -hmm. uh, which we call delicious shorts, and we invite caterers and chefs to come in and kind of pair uh, a food bite with a, a particular uh, short uh, short film, and um, and and. Uh, for our, we had a Scotch movie one year, and we had a, a, a Scotch company come and do a tasting of Scotch uh, whiskeys. Cool. So, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. We we tried to uh, pair uh, different food and wine uh, experiences with our films, and and just heightening the experience of that film and 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 that experience for for our for our guests. Yeah, I think because uh, of where, where you are, saying you know you are in the mecca of the mecca of wine, and it's uh, it just makes sense because food is such a sensory experience, and and so are films and and watching those together, it just it, it just makes it a perfect offering that you guys are in the best place to watch films and the best place to eat and drink. Uh, it's just fantastic. Um, it, it's Sean. It's really user friendly, right? I mean, our passes, uh, the pricing of it are inclusive to our community, and, ne and then if you want to have a guaranteed um, reserve seat and get in early and go to all the parties, there's a pass for that as well. And and there are some people that see one film and never miss a party, and there's other people care less about the parties and go see 25 films. Mm -hmm. 
So I was going to ask, like, obviously um, we're recording this in uh, late 2019 and, and you guys are having the festival in, in, in March in 2020. Um, do you release the films, you know, what kind of films you're going to show um, early like now or do you sort of wait a bit? Because I wanted to try and get a sneak peek or yeah. an exclusive about the films you were Film release. Right. So we're right in this process of, of um, as far as all the films that have been submitted, um, as far as making a decision, sending out acceptance letters, um, the, the actual submissions close um, mid-January, and we um, get together our program by the very first couple days of February. And so we need to do that because our program guide is inserted in yep. a magazine called Sonoma Magazine that has a, a circulation of 29,000. And that goes into all the luxury um, hotels from San Francisco to Sonoma and the lobbies and everywhere else. So it's a nice way for us to get our program guide out. Mm -hmm. and, um, and at that time, when we know what our films are, we will... Um, put them online and so we'll look at them a month in advance and um, so we have submission films but we also have films that we go after and we have a programmer that goes to Cannes, Toronto and Sundance and so we find what's known as festival favorites and and, um, um, and the films that come out of South America and that come out of um, Australia and that come out of Europe may already have distribution, but no one necessarily, um, whether it be North America or in California. So mm -hmm. as far as we're concerned, there's still um, um, films that our audience is going to enjoy and want to see, and, and they normally wouldn't have a chance to see it. And I think when you look at the full range of our films, these films take our audience around the world and expose them to different customs and cultures and languages and different storylines. And, and, um, and they, no one ever, you get that full benefit of being around the world and never having to move, be too far from Sonoma Valley and in between get a couple good drinks of wine. Sounds, um, it sounds perfection. Uh, I must say I'm very jealous, um, that I can't be there. Um, <laughs> So, but but I feel like I am there because I've talked to you guys today. So I really appreciate it uh, and really appreciate your time. Um, what's the best way that people can find out more about the festival and and really link into to what it's all about and 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 maybe that's nice of you to ask, Sean. <laughs> yeah. So your listeners, if they go on to triple um, W Sonoma Film Fest F E S T dot org. Mm -hmm. They'll go on their uh, get on our website, and and if anyone wants to call us, um, they're more than welcome. And our area code is seven zero seven nine three three two six zero zero, and have them ask for Shay because I certainly don't want to be bugged by him. <laughs> and um, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Yeah. I was just impressed. I'm teasing. Shay or me? 
either of us would be more than happy to talk to any of your listeners and um, and we'll fix them up with a great pass and we can give them um, different lodging um, options and and um, nothing would please me more in the, to have um, particularly the uh, the Aussies um, the Aussies that have come up before they bring great films they're extremely spirited and we try to persuade them to drink a, a little less beer and a little bit more wine. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious um so true though like we are we do love both though kevin so don't, oh, don't worry we do love both um kevin and jay thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it i'll put all the links uh in the bio of this podcast so people can reach out so don't worry about that and uh i hope the film festival is a massive success as always and and let us know when we can book you into a luxury resort, Sean, and give you a, a path for yourself and, and a friend and you can come in and, and enjoy our festival. We'd love to meet you. Uh, I would too. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank Take you, care, Sean. Sean. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you really enjoyed that episode of the Open Pantry podcast. The boys were just so fantastic and so spirited in that podcast. So I hope if you're around Sonoma in America that you want to go check it out. It sounds like an incredible time, both for fun and for film. So make sure you check out all the links in the bio so you can go and visit. Until next time, have a great afternoon. You're really passionate about Italian food. Was that, was that hard for you to comprehend at the start? Because I know in my, in my late teens, early 20s, I dated an Italian girl as well and that was really hard for me to comprehend the big family dinners and 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 that community part like that was it, coming from a coming yeah. from an only child it's terrifying yeah so what You're made you an only you, child what? too no no no, no. Well, I'm youngest of three uh, okay yeah right but <laughs> I heard your voice go down um <laughs> but what like that would have been just such a massive change for you like it must have been it must have been like a warm hug after you sort of got I used think to it, it I think it was and and um, I think I always really loved, and to this day, I always felt very much at home. Like, I feel more at home in Italy than I do here. And mm. I feel always at home with Italians um, because I think it's because of their... How, how do you... It's, it, what is it? Their warm nature and it's, they're very giving I've, and loving and... I've never... And they're going to hit you all in the same sentence. It and, is. It's, it's yeah. really interesting. It's just... It's pure passion. Yeah. And I've and I've been lucky to work for people who are Italian and 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 been around Italians as well in and out of my life and it, it is a difference. Like yeah. it's it's not like other people in Europe. Yeah, it's, it's really quite unique. Yeah, which is really cool. But anyway. so so basically, I said to this dude, he's mm. on the phone. Are you going to come back? Yes. I said, Give me twenty four hours. And I called my mum. Mum's like, please, you know, that'd be great. This is, <laughs> this is pre FaceTime and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's like seeing their only son. Yeah. yeah, and so you're. Um, I have a, I have have a sister now, which mm-hmm. is ten years younger than I, mm-hmm. and um, I've got an adopted sister from Korea who oh, now right. lives mm-hmm. in Ohio in a tiny town, married to a dude she met online gaming, who's like the nicest that's guy right. you've ever met. It's pretty crazy. It's cool She's got a kid, and yeah. that's awesome. But yeah. um, I was worried it's going to get sold for body parts initially. <laughs> but anyway, so I called the dude, and I'm like, right, I'll come back, but you got to buy me a ticket. And sure. so, because I have any money, yes. so never have never had any money. Yes. So, it's funny with me. Um, I was talking to somebody recently about this. I never used to ask how much I get paid, ever. Really? Ever? I Why? just 
because I, I was never in it for money. I was just always would pick a place yes, and just be like, I want to work here and this is these are the people I want to work with. And money was never in... I always struggled. Yes. A bit dumb. Never asked like how much I would earn, but it was just always... I would always get paid well because yes. I, I would go in and work. But uh, money was never a driver for me and still isn't to this day. Is there ever a job that you've gone for other than the French restaurant at the start that you didn't get? No. Mm. That's cool. I don't think so. Mm. No. Yeah. No. So it's just purely based on trust because you were always getting what you wanted at that point in time. Yeah, but mm. I also haven't. I haven't been for a, a job. I'm gonna say for twenty years. Yeah, like because I've I just get asked. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of nice. Pretty nice thing. Sometimes it is. <laughs> Sometimes people call you up and say, "Come and work here," and it's not, not your nice. cup of tea. Yeah, so that, that's happened a few times too. But yeah, sure. that, that's cool. Not every job's for everybody. And mm-hmm. um, so basically, brother, I came back and I'm working with these guys I've worked with before. Sure. And there was a lot of partying going on, mm-hmm. and we opened this tiny Italian restaurant. And I said. Um, you know, I want to do all this stuff I was learning at the River Cafe and this is mm. what I'm interested in. And my business partner had no interest in that. He wanted me to replicate the menu from Cafe Cucina, pretty much. Why? Because that Because that, that's what he knew. And, um, and I was also doing stuff that wasn't familiar to him and he just found it unnecessary yep. and stupid. Like, why do you want to make all the pasta from scratch? And I was like, because I love it. And that's what I want to, I enjoy yeah, doing it. and taste to it. No one is like no one gives a shit, and so <laughs> let's just get dried brilla, and it's just fine. And well. anyway, so look, basically, I got to a stage with that place where it was pretty hard. I was working a lot. Mm. I was doing doubles, and mm. sometimes I'd come into the restaurant at seven thirty the next morning to start a double, and there they would be in the restaurant parting still. Wow! And so at that stage, I was like, yeah, "Nah, I'm out of here." So I basically was feeling very, very kicked in the face about the, the industry. I'd mm. passed up what felt like a perfect life for me in Switzerland yeah. to come back and do this and it was shit. Yeah. And so I got out of there and I also felt bad to them because mm. they had all these hopes on me and I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to get, I, I didn't want to do what they wanted to do. Like I wanted to cook, I wanted to do good stuff. Yep. I didn't want to work more than I needed to do because of you know the way they were running the business and it, it was just like a big social kind of thing at that restaurant yeah, and I understand. you know a lot of nose beers going on and stuff like that mm-hmm. and so you were just past that time yeah mm. so basically <laughs> I quit and I went to a friend who yep. actually was working for me at the restaurant as a waiter and he left and he opened a tiny crepery in Santa Lane in the city and it was as big as this table pretty much yep. and I washed dishes he was like I want you to, um, you know, come make crepes. It's like, I don't want to do any of that stuff. I just right. want to, like, hang down the back, wash dishes, yep. and, and go. And yep. so I was living with friends, and then I went and lived back with my parents, and I met my now wife in that crepery. No way. Yeah, so Hell. she... Well, a friend popped in there one day who I'd known when I was 16, and she was like, Toby, what are you doing here? It was a very cool, trendy place. And, right, okay. And... Um, and, you know, play cool world music and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you, know, you know the place. Yes. And uh, she popped in. I hadn't seen her since I was like 15 or 16. And, yeah. And then she came back a couple hours later with Georgia. They're working together. Wow. And she went back and said, I've seen this incredibly hot guy, you know. Like, I, but I've seen this guy I used to work with. And I'm just joking. <laughs> you can't see my face. But, yeah, I've seen this guy I used to work with. And, you know, you guys probably get along. 
and we did. So we yeah. started going out very quickly, yeah. and but this is crazy. Two weeks later, like literally two weeks after we started going out, I get a phone call from Matt Skinner, and I'd introduced, I'd come back. I'm skipping stuff here, but I'd yes. come back to Australia, mm-hmm. knowing Jamie, and Jamie now is big. And yes. so he's come out and Australians now know who Jamie Oliver is. Mm-hmm. And I introduced Matt Skinner to Jamie Oliver at dinner. Wow. And Jamie loved Matt because Matt um, is a, got a really, don't get upset, Matt, very perverted sense of humor. He's, right. he's, he's the funniest guy I've ever met in my life. Yes. And Jamie loves to laugh. And basically, um, Matt and I are a good team. One's food, one's wine. And Jamie, Matt called me up. And he's like, dude, Jamie's here. He's like, wants us like I don't want to tell you but he wants us to go work in London and open this restaurant and so I called Jay and Georgia met me as a kitchen hand and um, I'm like oh we're gonna go meet Jamie Oliver now and and he wants to ask me something so Jamie typical Jamie sits there with this girlfriend I've had for two weeks and says do you guys want to come and live in London and I was like (laughs) dude we're like pretty early in you know and and um, but we kind of looked at each other and it felt right and oh, yeah. I said, look, come over. Worst comes to the worst. Mm. Just, you know. Go home. Go home, mm. yeah. Or stay, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, as always with these things, we thought it was going to London in a week. It was a year. So, mm. a year later. And wow. we, the conversation was that we would do a restaurant with purpose. So, it was a restaurant that would give opportunities to kids between the age of 16, 24 out of long-term employment or education. And um, give them something. Well, give, give it what... give these people what cooking gave Jamie and myself like an opportunity to make a career yeah. um, without school marks and stuff like yeah. that so trying to give a legacy there yeah and so I thought going and giving kids knives who are out of prison is an awesome idea and we started <laughs> off with it was going to be a 40 seater restaurant with no TV show we right. opened a year later 150 seater restaurant Ooh. with a TV show wow. and a charity attached and wow. a 6 month waiting list immediately wow. and um, it was insane and I the idea I had was that what I was told or what I was believing yes. was that I was going to go in as a sous chef uh-huh. with Jamie and uh-huh. we're going to run this place together okay. kind of thing. Jay was suddenly busy with his commitments with TV yeah, and everything. And I suddenly was executive chef by default. Wow. And I'd never done anything like this before. Yeah. And I was really in the shit. Yeah. Like, um, Just way yeah. out of your depth. Oh, man. Bad. Who did you lean on during that time? Um, there was another guy who was a sous chef as well, Eamon, mm-hmm. who was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And Gennaro yeah. was there. So Gennaro was floating around a lot. Okay. But there was a guy, Pete, who I leaned on. So, and I haven't actually ever thought of that question, but Pete was our boss at the River Cafe. He was quite high up. He's a few years older than us and they call mm-hmm. him the Oracle now. He like, okay. he's head of food for Jamie. Mm. So he's been working for Jamie. Jamie's taken about four or five people from the River Cafe, probably myself included. Yep. Ben O'Donoghue and we've just kind of stayed in the... The circle of the, trust. The right? circle of trust, <laughs> I guess. And we duck in and duck out over the years. Yeah, and that's really cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's a good position to be in. Mm. But um, yeah, so basically, Pete Beggs, who is older than me, he wasn't in the kitchen, but he's a recipe developer. So a lot of the recipes you see in Jamie's books and stuff like that, yeah. um, Pete's had something to do with that. So cool. for those of you, Jamie doesn't actually write every single recipe published in you know, all 30 magazines daily across the world. So he does, he does need help. Um, <laughs> but he does look over everything, come up with all the ideas still. So, okay. so Pete was pretty cool to lean on okay. with that. So, so why did it go from a 40-seat concept to a 150-seat concept? Because idiots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it was the space. 
they right. found they found a cool space that yeah. they kind of thought this could be really awesome and Jamie like a lot of people gets ideas gets motiv- motivation inspiration um, and excited from people like he'll meet right. somebody and he's like that person's awesome yes we should do something with that person yes and so I think he met a barman who was like mm-hmm. been working in New York making you know swanky cocktails and stuff mm-hmm. for a lot of years mm-hmm. this guy was like could sell ice to the Eskimos I don't I never saw him walk he kind of glided along this big black dude like 6'4 <laughs> and um, really cool guy and he knew every like every celebrity he knew and yeah um, so he he kind of opened this cocktail floor this cocktail bar on the ground floor on the okay. ground floor yes. and the restaurant was underneath wow. and um yeah, he pulled a whole lot of people from the river calf and stuff in, and we were just—we'd never done anything like that, so it was pretty hard. What was the, what was the hardest thing during that time? Was it, was it consistently pumping out great quality food with TV cameras there, or was it working with and guiding and mentoring people who were the hardest, probably the hardest, to, you know, in the industry? At that point, I think I think the indus- the great thing about hospitality and why I stay in it is because I feel like a lot of people who wouldn't get a chance normally in society do. Yeah, and hospitality being hospitable gives people that warm most of the hug, time, <laughs> most yeah. of the time. Yeah, um, that allows people to feel like they're part of a team or part of a community or part of a belonging in some way. Like, but you would have been dealing with people who had drug addiction. And, been sexually abused and different things like that like we've all worked with those people in the industry <laughs> anyway but yeah but, but, but on, the, on mass right the, these kids from particularly um look and answer your question it was all hard yeah it was all hard like i'd never okay so for starters we thought it would be a good idea still we did the river cafe and changed the menu every shift <laughs> just to make just to make things just a little harder yeah so yeah. we did that wow um but we had a really strong team to start with. We're all really young. We're all in our mid-twenties. Mm. Um, and a lot of the people straight out of the River Calf, like the top section, straight out of the River Calf. And then we had some incredibly talented people like coming from overseas wanting to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially one guy from Canada, Derek, mm-hmm. um, was, he was a bit of an arsehole, but just like amazing. I mean, in a lovely way, but yes. sort of, but mm-hmm. ama- probably one of the most talented chefs I've ever seen in my life. Like he rocked in and started doing stuff. I like, like preserving and curing and all this kind of stuff light years before it was cool. Yeah. And he just really knew what he was doing and, and I learned a lot working with that team. Mm-hmm. But the whole um, working with the young people was very challenging. We had no training whatsoever. I would later speak to a therapist who would just tell me, you guys are nuts. Like, Because uh, I, after I closed 15 Melbourne, I had to process a lot of stuff. I had so much yeah. going on. So I went yeah. and got some help with working through a lot of this stuff. As you should. Yeah, and they were just like, man, you need to write a book about this. This is crazy <laughs> what you guys like. Opening a restaurant with these kids and you've had no training. Yeah. Like, for you to deal with it. Yes. So you've just highlighted the fact that, obviously, you're in, you're in London for a year doing 15 in London. A couple of years over there, yeah. A couple yeah. of years. Yeah. And then, you've, and then you've obviously been through that time, which has been, obviously, rewarding, challenging, um, heartbreaking. And then you come back to Melbourne and you've done it again. In I think I, Melbourne, right? I think um, I kind of skipped over one one thing where I got to with cooking was that I loved cooking. Yes. But by the time I got to twenty five, I've learned a couple of languages now. Yep. I, you know, got 
kind of to where I wanted to get to yes. with cooking as a level, yep. and I was pretty happy with that. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for the next thing. Mm. And so, so when I was washing dishes at my friend's crepery when I yeah. met Georgia, I was um, really questioning my future with hospitality because right. I was like, I'd look at my old head chefs who are in their sixties or. And they're looking incredibly stressed. They're not happy. Yes. And you could see that. Yeah. And so I didn't want to be like that. So yeah. I started looking for an exit or a way mm-hmm. out. What's next for me? So working with these young people um, gave cooking a purpose for me rather than just giving people high cholesterol. Yeah. So uh, it's true. Yeah, and, um, it's very true. So that was really attractive to me. So when I decided to leave London, Jamie really wanted to set me up in a restaurant back here. Okay which he would fund, and I really wanted to do a 15 mm. because of what it gave to me yes. and also to the other people. Mm. And um, he really tried to talk me out of it, and he still tells me to this day, and I was quite insistent that I, I they gave me the blessing to do that. So I came back to Australia, I was 30, with a blessing to do it and nothing else. Right. Um, it's pretty cool to have yeah. that, so... Uh, no one else had it. No. And so, of course, you start to get all these wanky investors jumping all over you who want to get involved with it and align themselves with celebrity. And um, I partnered with a guy I thought was pretty cool and um, turned out he's okay, but he wasn't the right business partner yeah. for that. Yeah. And uh, he was in also, as it turns out, probably in it for celebrity. Yeah. And... That rock star fame that was happening with celebrity chefs. Yeah. Mm. You just want to be loved. <laughs> yeah. It's super interesting, right? I don't get I've, it. I've got... I don't get it either, but I've got... An, I think because we've been in hospitality for such a long time, Tobes, but like... I've got this analogy that almost guys who... Especially guys who invest in restaurants or venues will do it together in groups of threes and fours. And they're often from finance or they're often from out... They're always they're dentists, from outside the industry. They, yep. And they have this thought that they want to do it because it's cool mm. and they don't realise how tough it is yeah you know in their minds they're sitting outside the restaurant super yes. popular because Absolutely. they everyone loves them because they're the owner of this restaurant yeah. in reality they're dealing with broken dishwashers mm-hmm. theft yes <laughs> yes so drug addiction drug addiction a lot of different yeah. things mm. so it was um, yeah we opened 15 here in 2006 so yep. basically I, I never think about this. It's pretty cool. In a year and a half, I pulled together and taught myself how to open a charity. So wow. I opened a charity. I got this guy, um, I won't name him, the business partner on board. Yeah. Uh, he was, actually worked his balls off. Like he did a lot. He was, he was really cool mm-hmm. in, in setting that up. And he had his own team. Um, he was a property developer and he wow. threw his team who were really skilled and some yeah. good people there to sort of help pull all this together. Because... Yeah. You know, it's not setting up a restaurant. You're mm-hmm. setting up a restaurant, but you're setting up a charity. Yes. And a freaking TV show with Jamie Oliver in it that's going to be running four and a half million strong audience every Thursday night. So it was a big three massive snowballs all moving. And um, it's a lot of pressure, Toby. Yeah, it was a lot of pressure, Sean. <laughs> it's, um, it was a really big thing to do, mm. and it was pretty crazy because I I had kind of um, I guess I got famous pretty quickly out of that. And because suddenly I was on this show and, yeah, you know, Jamie's like, I trust this guy to do yes. this. And, yeah. um, but we ran that, we ran the, sh- 
the program here for six years. And so for the first three years, it was really quite easy because we had a lot of money. Right. Because we had fame from the media. There was yep. a lot of um, people who wanted to be aligned. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of taught me a lot about life, about how hard it became to get money when there wasn't media surrounding you. That's interesting. Yeah, so all the big companies wanted to be seen on television, television and everything to be giving. But as right. soon as there wasn't that, they didn't want to give. So... So these big it's companies, sad, isn't it, it's really? really shit. It's like, yeah, we'll give you $500,000. And, and the politicians wanted to be seen there giving us money with a, a photo, of course, yeah, in the paper. Course, yeah. But as soon as there wasn't that opportunity, it became really difficult. So look, the business got plagued with problems mm-hmm. um, way beyond that. Like mm-hmm. I had amazing people working there over the years. And yeah. a lot of them I'm still very close with. And we taught like, I don't know, probably 150 kids yeah, through the program in that time. And... I know that we saved some people's lives like we truly did and some of the kids um, I've taught have gone to work in Michelin star restaurants um, all over the world and like one of the guys Tim who I taught in the UK has opened fucking amazing restaurants in London like one of them I think has got a Michelin star and he's got like three or four restaurants and so that feels good it does doesn't it yeah it feels awesome do you think that's the most most humbling thing about the industry for you is the fact that you see someone who like whether you've trained them in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s, like they were 15 or 16, they've come through the ranks and, and they go on to do great things and you know you shape them from man. a different it's life. Like, yeah, I don't think about it. And then like you see these people no. and they really want to show you what they've done. It's really interesting, isn't and it? Yeah, it's it's really humbling. It's really humbling. I don't often think about it until like 10 years after the fact and I'll get contacted by them randomly mm. or you get a phone call. It's crazy. You know? we, we had, when we were running 15, so we started getting this, um, I'm not going to go into this too much because mm. oh, it's stressful, but we um, had Suru Smell coming to the restaurant. Yes. That took us four years to work it out. Yeah. Four years. It's yeah. insane. And mm-hmm. so Suru Smell comes into a pretty good restaurant on a Saturday night. You just hear forks drop and you can't really mm. charge people. Yes. Um, so that was a huge problem. Mm. We had a guy who to this day I'll maintain was a really nice guy. Um, seeing he was the general manager was stealing right. but small amounts at a time right. gambling right. and um, he had a problem I think with alcohol and maybe drugs as well yeah, right. but he burnt the office down because we basically clued onto the fact there was money what do they call it when they they take money and then put it back in like two days oh, later or something oh I know what you mean yeah um, like he'd take 500 probably lose it but then pick it up a yeah, couple he, nights and yeah. then backfill it or whatever yeah 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 so yeah, we nice. the accountant we had caught on to something she was mm. like Toby we're going to talk to you about something and it's to do with money and we need the GM there and I called him up and funnily enough he said oh yeah I'll be there I'll be there and then I got a phone call <laughs> one minute before the meeting I'm like where are you he's like oh, I've had to go home back pain that night I get a phone call from one of the barmen saying there's a fire and I was like what what do you mean like where and he's like I don't know I was like well you do know like is it, <laughs> yes. is it in front you of you me told me yeah. yes. is it in front of you is it like where is it <laughs> he's like it's in the office which was 200 metres down the road ACDC lane with cherry bar underneath it wow um, and then I called the GM and I'm like where are you dude there's a fire he's like I'm at home and I've been at home all night I was like okay oh that sounds very yeah. I don't know if he said that but it's very, <laughs> I'm, painting, I'm painting in pictures so okay. anyway I'm there half of the city is bloody blocked off Wow. It's, it's serious shit. And um, it's like something out of a movie. Yeah. And 
I'm there and I stayed there till like five in the morning or something, went home, got a couple of hours sleep yeah. and the restaurant ran successfully that night. That was okay. Um, but the, this, this general manager's there and the next morning I rock into the restaurant and um, there's cops everywhere, detectives are now cruising around yeah. and, and they're all talking to people and I felt really left out. I didn't know what was going on. Mm. And then a guy came and said, um, I need to see you and he took me down the road to 101 Collins into this room that was like, I didn't know existed, but it was this was the security central hub for 101 Collins. And there's, I'm probably going to exaggerate, there's like 50 screens mm-hmm. around. And I saw out the window, he's got the director of the charity standing outside, but we couldn't talk. And But they've got him by himself. And he was a lovely guy. And they're like, who's that on that screen there? Mm. And then surely enough, you can see they've caught on 101 Collins cameras, somebody going into the building where the fire's come from. Wow. Time stamped five minutes before the fire got reported. Wow. Or 10 minutes before whatever. And, yeah. And it's the GM. Wow. And you know when you know someone well, yes. like you don't need to see their face. You can tell by the way they move. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're like, okay. And then they shoved me in a car and took me to a cop station for eight hours and put me in a small room and I was just getting questioned like crazy. And no one knew where I was. And then I got spat out and I put my phone on and they were just asking me about this Kevin guy and, and about the business, you know, was it going well, all sorts of stuff. And I just spat out like eight hours later and it's like dark and I've just turned my phone on like, you know, 80 missed calls or something yeah. crazy and yeah. my wife worried. Of and, course. And um, like... You know, there's a fire, and then I'm not contactable. Like, yes. I do it. Yeah, exactly. And, um, What's going on? Yeah. yeah, and then it was this dude, and so he wow. he did it. And the weird thing, dude, was like during the day before, like literally ten minutes before I got taken into that room. I think I was I used to smoke. I was having a cigarette with him, and I remember him taking a call from his mum, and he was cool as a cucumber, and he's like oh. saying, "Oh, there was a fire," you know. And I remember him talking to his mum, having a the same way I talk to my mum. Like, yes. I love my mum and having yeah. a really good chat with her. And and then that night he's in prison. So, basically, he had been stealing. Right. We started closing in on him. And he lit a fire in a building with about 50 people in a bar below to cover up 20 grand's worth of debt. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I was just like, he's fucked his whole life up. Yes. I just wish he came to us and said... I screwed up. I've got a problem. I've done this Mm. and we would have helped him. We really would have helped. He would have lost his job, of course, but we would have worked out. 20 grand. Yeah. And so he ended up doing about five or six years in prison. Shit. Wow. So, (laughs) so 15 winds up. Um, Yeah. So we, look, I got to a point where I was burnt. I was like, um, it was just too hard, Sean. So, um, I got to a point where the business partner and I, you know, we're, Mm. we're, we're, we were working through stuff, but there was just more and more problems as we spoke about. It was yeah, just, just more I, little stuff coming up. I think through maturity and wisdom, you start to realise you get to a stage with anything yeah. where there's too much compromise, too many compromises with your own self, yeah. and and um, they need to be able to know when to step away from the vehicle. Mm-hmm. I think Karen Martini actually pulled me aside at one stage. Who's really? been a good friend said, "Mate, you got to step away from the vehicle." Yeah. And I actually, um, luckily enough, my wife has, I get along with her dad incredibly well. Yep. Her sister's a lawyer. There's lawyers and judges and stuff in her family. And they just, they were like, because I, I sometimes don't give up and yes. I just keep going. Yeah. And it'll kill me. And yes. I'll just keep going and yeah. keep going, keep going. Yep. And so I was lucky that I got a tap on the shoulder and just said, man, you got to step away from the vehicle now. Mm. 
How hard was that for you? Obviously really hard. Really, like the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my whole life. Mm. Because the business was kind of running, but the second I pulled away, it was not running anymore. Like mm. the, the other investor wasn't, um, he, he's not hands on. So without me, he's just going to close it. So suddenly sure. everyone was out of a job. Sure. How'd you regroup after that? What'd you do next? With myself? Mm. Um, I took, look, at this stage of my life, and I guess I've been very blessed that I've had um, quite a strong media career, and with the media career comes a lot of other business opportunities. Of course. So I've been lucky enough, and to this day, that I make a living off that. Mm. And um, so I still kept doing these opportunities, but I actually didn't go outside much for about a year. I, right. I was scared mm. because there were creditors that were, were owed and stuff like that. Yeah, of course. And um, I wanted <coughs> to pay them all, but the advice I was getting was that you can't pay anyone because it's preferential payment. If you pay one person, you've got to pay everyone. Pay everyone. Mm. So I was just feeling very shit, mm. probably depressed mm. for, for a while. Yep. And um, I didn't want to go out of the house. I went out to a supermarket once and bumped into a wine supplier and he's just like what's happening man and I was like you know because but look what happened with the closure of the restaurant I had a friend of mine who was going to buy it and he okay. was going to buy and I haven't spoken about this before but he, he was going to buy the restaurant for an amount of money that would have cleared out all the creditors and everything Okay. and I went to my business partner with that and yep. he wanted more and Ooh. so he okay. wanted like triple or quadruple what was being offered so wow. he wanted to profit Right. from the sale of a closed business, which would never happen. Yeah. And so I basically, um, and that's when every, my family was really like, you've got mm. to step away from mm. it because you never... That's the sign, right? Yeah. And so that really got me, mm. was that I couldn't do anything because mm. I was a co-director with this guy. Yes. I couldn't make that decision on his behalf. We both had to agree to do that. Yeah, of course. So, so we, could have, we could have cleared everybody out, but it was kind of out of my hands a bit. I understand where that comes from. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you've met this you've met this wine supplier you've at, at the supermarket I was with my wife and cruising through a supermarket and he's like hey uh, and like, he's a lovely Italian guy and yeah, he's yeah, owed yeah. money and he was kind of like what are we <clears throat> what's happening and I just I had to say to him look you've got to call this dude it's out mm. of my hands like mm. I've I found a solution mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm helpless mm-hmm. but these people also seeing me on TV at the same time thinking why the fuck don't you pay us kind of what Georgie Columbaris is going through. I was going to ask you about that. What you thought about that. I mean, I was lucky enough to work with Maid for three months. Yeah. <laughs> it's a short period of time. Yeah. And that didn't allow me to know George very well, but I met George uh, two or three times. Another time after after I left um, after I left Maid. Yeah, thank you. Um, and he is... Uh, well, this heavy talk's got a... There's well, many more wine. Um, he's, he's an exceptional character. And, oh, he's, and, he's and, insane. He's got so much fire. And it's, what what's annoying me at the moment in the industry is that the celebrity chefs, and I call them celebrated chefs as they should be, are creative, like we've talked about at the start of this podcast, often don't have the financial acumen. Because they are so creative and want to belong and trust people, they therefore trust people who come in and offer them the, the platform, the platform, yeah. the money, yeah. the property, all but, that kind of stuff. But this is across many careers. Like it's the same with artists yes. when they, they get a gallery representing them or something like this, they often get screwed. Yes. And it's, um, 
I guess what happened to has happened to George is what happened to me, but mm. on on it's obviously bigger with George. Mm. I, I'm um, yeah, I'm I've been friends with George. We we're on Ray Steady Cook like yeah. three, twenty years ago or something. I was going to ask you about that. Like, me, was Gary, that an incredible Manu, time. Like? And, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> we we're all young and just yeah. like to be doing TV and stuff, and um, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. It was like Manu, Gary, George, me. Yep. Um, I don't know who else, but. Yeah, I, remember, was, I remember watching those shows and loving it. And I it was remember being a baker in that time and, and just being excited mm. by you guys putting up such cool food in such a short period of time. We had such a ball doing it because we were all working in restaurants and we'd yeah. come up there and just do it. And mm-hmm. um, I think I initially got set up with that show because I was getting groomed to do the 15 TV show. Right. I hadn't done much TV. Uh-huh. And so the head of the production company that was going to be making the 15 TV show wanted to get me, you know, camera savvy. And so he started, because of the 10 connections, yes. we were on 10 as well, yep. started getting me on all those shows. Mm-hmm. Um, look, George, I just feel really sorry for what he's going through. I don't think it's all his... I don't, I'm not going to comment too much because I don't know mm. him, but I just... He's been witch hunted, yes, and and I don't. He's being held personally accountable, which as a director, I get it. You know, he should know this. But what you said is absolutely right. Where creatives do meet people all the time who are like, "I'll handle all the business side, and you do what you do well." You do the menu planning. You you do you Mm -hmm. be you, and Mm. and it happens to all of us all the time. Mm. And then you get fucked. Yep. Because you don't know what's going on. I actually remember Miguel saying to me, it's happened to Miguel as well. Yeah. Miguel's one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet in your life. Yeah, and um, he's, he's a big sweetheart. Like he really is. And mm-hmm. so thankful for where he is. No arrogance or anything. And I remember um, yeah, him him saying to me like, oh man, because he, he's had failures. Like yes. big restaurant failures. Yeah. And he's just like, oh man, from now on, I've just got to go to every meeting. And if I don't understand something, I will employ, you know, I'll, just sit there and ask as many questions as I need 